Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Seats, some chairs, and empty chairs. The woman at the well. This is, by the way, from uh, it's it's included in this anthology, Teachings of the Buddha, edited by uh, Jack. Cornfield and uh, Gil Fransdell. It's kind of like the, the Buddha's, the best of the Buddha's, Buddha's greatest hits, so, so to speak, from all traditions. Mm. <clears throat> Ananda, the attendant of the Buddha, having been sent by the Lord on a mission, passed by a well near a village, and seeing Pakati, a young outcast woman, asked her for water to drink. Pakati said, O monk, I am too humbly born to give you water to drink. Do not ask any service of me, lest your holiness be contaminated, for I am of low caste. And Ananda replied, I ask not for caste, but for water. And the woman's heart leaped joyfully, and she gave Ananda water to drink. Ananda thanked her and went away, but she followed him at a distance. Having heard that Ananda was a disciple of the Buddha, the woman went to the Blessed One and said, O Lord, help me and let me live in the place where your disciple Ananda dwells, so that I may see him and minister unto him, for I love Ananda. And the Blessed One understood the emotions of her heart and said, Pakati, your heart is full of love, but you do not understand your own sentiments. It is not Ananda that you love, but his kindness. Accept then the kindness you have seen him practice towards you and practice it towards others. Pakati, though you were born low caste, you will be a model for noble men and noble women. Swerve not from the path of justice and righteousness and you will outshine the royal glory of queens and kings. I love that story. I ask not for caste, but for water.
And what she fell in love with was his kindness. And that's what we do, don't we? We fall in love often with kindness or we're touched by goodness in such a profound way. And we often get caught by the form that it comes in. Not that the form might not be worthy of our love. Of course, we feel a connection and feel close and feel uh, a, a mysterious affinity at times with somebody who just opens our heart. But what we are really being touched by when one gets down to it is their goodness or their love that's coming out of them that awakens it in us, as I often say. It's just, it's love finding itself, or it's goodness finding itself, or kindness finding itself through these forms. But we can often be deceived by the outward form, either entranced by it, or repulsed by it. And either way, we're missing out on the essence of what really moves us. There's, uh, I, I live near Solano Avenue, and um, I, I know pretty well most of the, uh, uh, the street people who are there. Um, just trying to get by. One of them, my friend Patrick, who's always up by, uh, outside of Cactus Taqueria and uh, Noah's. Uh, if you ever see somebody sitting down there, just uh, say hi to Patrick. Uh, and he'll start a conversation. And uh, his, he's got a really beautiful heart. And uh, his body has gone through a whole lot. He's actually had kind of uh, stomach cancer, which miraculously has subsided, uh, or at least diminished. Um, and through it all, no matter how bad he was feeling, he'd be friendly with a warm hello, and uh, hey, say hi to Adam for me, my son, because Adam has gotten very close with Patrick. Hey, say hi to Jane. And there's a real person there. He's a real person with a very um, beautiful heart and actually a whole lot of wisdom. So say hi to Patrick if you happen to be up there. We, um, if we can see beyond the outward form to the goodness inside, to our true nature, to who we really are, that is the secret for our own well-being. We see it in ourselves and for everyone around as we allow our goodness to radiate out. And the more we can recognize it in ourselves, the more we can recognize it in everybody else. If we are busy thinking that we're not enough, 
and we feel a sense of lack or feel that uh, unless we have outward confirmations that we're okay, we doubt it, that does nobody service. But when we can see that we are quite enough and that we have this good nature, this true nature that wants to come out, when it's not confused, when the mind is not confused, there is a natural well-being that emanates from us. It's one of the things that I, I really think of as um, a benevolence of life, that underneath it all, when we're not lost in confusion and fear and contraction, there's an ease and a well-being that wants to come out. And they, uh, so the neuroscientists, they hook people up and, uh, you know, with all of these, uh, like, 256 little electrode thingies that uh, attach to your brain, you can put on a whole cap. Richie Davidson at, at the University of Wisconsin does this kind of stuff. There's a lot of neuroscientists. He's the main one. And uh, they find that when somebody has their basic needs met and they're not stressed and they are at ease, that there is an inherent coherence that the brain emits. It's just a nice, mm, it's just cruising along. Just like with a baby, if you feed a baby and give her what she needs, change her diapers and you know, take care of things, you know, she's happy. Isn't that so? When you re reflect on that, it's like that's, that's our natural state when we're not lost. But it can get obscured so easily Stress, confusion, pressure, fear, beliefs, all these different ways that the, the mind contracts. And um, we can't see beyond that to what's here inside. And the same way, when we're in that state, it's very much harder to see the goodness all around us. We're too busy either being preoccupied with ourselves or feeling the world is a kind of dangerous place to navigate. So to really see beyond the form, this does not mean to be deceived and just see all the good stuff and not acknowledge the difficulties. Now that sometimes thinks, sometimes people think, oh, okay, I'll just go for, you know, your true nature and um, hope you don't run me over, you know, or just close my eyes to other things. No, it means to really see your your true nature, to really see beyond the form. It means you have to see, or be willing to see, at some point, the whole show. It's not just putting on the rose-colored glasses. 
it's not being deceived or living in denial or just having your, the filter of your concepts and fantasies. You know, either, you know, wow, this person is just fantastic. Just so, there it, I finally found a perfect person. And I'm in love with them. Right? That's what happens when the dopamine is shooting through. Everybody starts, you know, your 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 partner is perfect. You know? And then as it wears off, well, what was I thinking there? You know, 18 months ago. You know? And it doesn't, again, mean oh, okay, I'll I'll forgive. I'll I'll just. Let go the stuff that's, uh, that that's that that doesn't work and and uh, and and you know pretend it's not there, either in yourself or in others, but it means being willing to willing to directly open up to what's true. Starting, I think it's good to look for the good, but then to see oh we're all human. This is what makes us feel a connection if we think that everybody around us is infallible and, and we're, we're just kind of like, you know, being an imposter trudging along, hoping that we, we make it through. Uh, you're, you're missing out on something. But to see the whole package, this is what the meditation practice is about. So here you, you sit, and you see there might be some moments of peace. Maybe you found a few moments of refuge just in knowing that you're alive and breathing tonight. Or maybe you got very interested in the silence. It was very silent for a while here. And you just become delighted by silence. Oh, how cool that is. Mm. And then there are other moments you might have noticed. Moments where you space out, moments where you feel restless, moments where you see your petty thoughts. The meditation practice means, okay, I'm gonna be willing to open up to it all. And when you, if you've done a retreat, then you know that there are some good moments and there are some hard moments. And the point isn't to only have good moments so you can always see how beautiful you are. If you have that as the setup, then it is a setup for suffering because the hard moments seem like you failed or you say, oh, who was I kidding? This is who I really am. That's not how it works. It says, okay. Let's open to the whole show of being human. And in that opening to the whole show, the hard stuff is held by something so much more profound underneath it. Sometimes we, we might try to hide ourselves from the dark side but, and pretend it's not there. But it comes up and grabs us anyway. I just. Uh, Loaned somebody a book, one of my uh, a favorite book of mine called. Uh, it's an anthology called "Meeting the Shadow: The Hidden Power in the Dark Side of Human Nature." 
and it's a Jungian anthology about how vital it is to be able to see all the parts of ourselves and see them with understanding, compassion, and love. Because in that being willing to see the whole show, there is a freedom that comes and there is a release of energy, the hidden power that has been suppressed and saying, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm just, I'm a good person. I don't, I don't get caught in those other things. So it's a kind of paradox here. I'm really suggesting that you see beyond to the beauty, to the kindness that Picati saw in the woman at the well, but also see your humanity and see the whole truth and, and nothing but the truth, as they say. That when you can see it all and name your demons, oh, here's sadness, here's shame, here's confusion. You also say, oh, here's love, here's caring, here's peace, look at that. Oh, here's pettiness, here's anger, here's rage, here's kindness, here's equanimity, here's patience. It's all there. On a retreat, part of the process is this process of purification. And it's not just on retreat, but also if you're doing practice over time and you're more and more willing to just be with what's really here, there's a price to pay for that. Right? You can't pretend you don't see the other stuff. And you might say, gosh, I didn't know that was all there. I was better off before I started. You know, who needs this stuff? What did my friend get me into? You know, my ex-friend. You know? But you're missing the point. If you really want to open up and wake up, it means you are going to see it all. This is one of my favorite passages from uh, Be Here Now. He says, Ramdas says, as you further purify yourself, your impurities will seem grosser and larger. Understand that it's not that you're getting more caught in the illusion. It's just that you're seeing it more clearly. The lions guarding the gates of the temple get fiercer as you proceed towards each inner temple. But of course, the light is brighter too. It all becomes more intense because of the additional energy involved at each stage of spiritual practice. So naming the, the demons, saying, oh yeah, this too, this is part of being human, as in, uh, in mythology when the hero or the heroine finds out the name of the monster or the demon. Until they do, they're lost in, in fear, and the monster has so much power, and as soon as they find out the name, somehow somebody slips them the name, oh. 
Rumpelstiltskin, or whatever it is, or the Minotaur, or lots and lots of stories where when you name the demon, they lose their power. And that's how mindfulness works. When you name the very thing that you're afraid of, and you can name it with great kindness and compassion, it loses its power over you. Oh yeah, that's part of being human. It might not go as fast as you'd like, but little by little you're saying, oh, I see you, like the Buddha would say, I see you, Mara. And this means letting go of being perfect, letting go of pleasing everyone, letting go of infallibility. As we did the Third Zen Patriarch a number of uh, months ago, my favorite line, or one of my favorite lines, where he says, to live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in the highest realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Doesn't that feel good? Give you a little bit of slack. I I mentioned this before uh, on uh, a number of years ago. It occurred to me as a as a perfectionist, and sometimes I could be prone to perfectionism when I'm when I think I'm good at something. Other than that, you know, forget it. But when I think I'm good, then okay, now I'm going to show. You know, and it occurred to me the best you can do as a perfectionist is break even. You know, you do it perfectly. Okay, I did it perfect that time. That's how I'm supposed to. And anything less, and you've blown it. This is not very compassionate. So, in order to see your goodness, as Picati saw in, in Ananda, you need to see with with great compassion all of those parts of you that are hard to accept, and particularly seeing when you're looking at your personality, which you have all the way until full enlightenment, sorry to say, <laughs> or happy to say, it just depends on how you think about it. Um, when you look at your depth of conditioning and you see, oh yeah, I'm just a creature of habit. My mind inclines this way. Often, given the right stimulus, this is the response. To see it with great compassion, that's the f- one main approach to getting in touch with your true nature, to see it all and to love it anyway. And I, I don't recall, I was trying to re- remember if I read this recently. I, I did it in uh, the, uh, the Joy course this week, but um, here it is again. Did I read about the Babembas recently here? No. This is from Jack's book, Jack Hornfield's book, Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. In the Babemba tribe of South Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he is placed in the center of the village, alone and unfettered. All work ceases, and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one at a time, 
each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken, a joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. That's a nice tribe to hang out with, isn't it? Almost makes you feel like doing something stupid so you can get in the middle of the circle. Oh, my turn now. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And you can feel it, you know, just as you hear it, how beautiful that is and how the heart would respond to just be reminded of, of your goodness. Because if you can't see it, but everybody else is reminding you, this is who you are. Sometimes it doesn't matter if six billion people lined up and said you're really okay, it might not scratch it. But if you are reminded and you could at least feel their love, their care, their kindness, it kind of melts that confused, contracted state. That's how we want to see our flaws. With great compassion in the context of the goodness that's there. And when we can do that, we see underneath all of those flaws this pure being, this innocent being who came into the world as an innocent baby, this being who just wants to be happy, who just wants to be loved, who just wants to share their love, but maybe forgets or has gotten distorted on how to do that. But that's who we all were coming into this world, and that's who we all are underneath it all, unless you've been very, very wounded at an early age and have never learned how to connect with another human being. There are some people who just have that unfortunate karma. But most of us, most of us, if you can't relate to any human being but you love your dog, you are capable of awakening that love. Or it's capable of being awakened. Okay. Because there's still something that yearns for connection. My, one of my main practices, I said it in the classes this week, I have a little pillow in my house that uh, Jane got for me after we saw it at some, uh, friend, another friend's house. It says, my goal in life is to be the kind of person my dog thinks I am. Because when you're around, if you have a dog or an animal, you know, you're, you're not trying to impress them. You know, Hey, check out what a good person I am. You just, it just comes out naturally. That's who you are. And that innocence, that purity, that genuine unfabricated 
being that's inside of us. This is really beautiful. This is what Prakati saw in, in Ananda, and that was awakened in her as well. I think as the story goes on, she, uh, she did become enlightened. I think most of those stories in that way. Mm. This is uh, Anam Rinpoche. He says that sometimes you can be humbled and really um, do something that, that you, you just, it's so hard to accept. And when you really are up against your imperfections, this is not a bad thing because it can do away with the pride it can lead to, to, if you've been humbled by somebody on the outside, you might get defensive, you might want to have revenge, you might want to you know, show how good you are. But if you're really humbled to the point where your defenses aren't there and you're willing to connect with that vulnerability, with that soft spot, it's so hard to do to let our defenses down and really show our humanness, but that's the way to, that's the way to freedom because all of those walls kind of block that soft spot inside. And uh, he says that this innocence, this vulnerability is really the, a key to opening up to your true nature. Because then you become just like a child. Let me see. To be genuine and to be simple and innocent, this is the very vital aspect of spiritual practice. We have to be innocent in order to know how to pray. And he says, he talks a lot about praying. This is Anam Rinpoche. He says, when you have reach the point where you can't accept what's here or you're just really lost, you come out, he doesn't say it quite this way, but I'll say it, you come out with the universal prayer, help. Right? And in that opening up to something bigger than yourself, then uh, there is that the wall dissolves and there is this, uh, this profound vulnerability that comes that is so close to a purity of heart. And then you can start to pray. And it's kind of interesting hearing this Buddhist master talk about praying. Actually, Tibetans are, are big on praying to different, different uh, deities, expressions of the mind. But when we pray, and we all have that place inside of us that says, help, whether you call it pray to God or pray to something divine bigger than yourself, there's this movement of being open to something larger than yourself. This is coming back to your innocent true nature. And he talks about an experience of his own. He says, I remember a time I was trekking from Tibet to Nepal with a few other people. And this was not on a, you know, pleasure trek that you sign up for. This was a heavy-duty escaping trek. Mm -hmm. 
It was very dangerous, and there was only a little bit of moonlight. It wasn't very bright, and we didn't have flashlights. At one point, we had to cross a fast-moving, thunderous, cascading river full of icy water. There was no bridge. There was just one log that we had to walk on to cross the river. I was terrified. In that moment, I prayed out of pure fear. In that moment of total fear, I had forgotten all my meditative techniques. All of my fancy visualizations were gone, as well as all of the ways of, an, of analyzing mental states. Everything was gone. I was so terrified, I couldn't remember anything. But when I prayed, I felt this sudden bliss and calmness and courage. I walked perfectly across the log, and I don't know how I did it. This has nothing to do with miracle of divine interventions. This is simply about letting go of all delusions, all concepts, all fears, and just trusting in what is. And he goes on. I'll read a little bit more. We can pray whenever we feel hindered by confusion, fear, or loneliness. <clears throat> when we realize that our heart is hardened by judgment or separation or fear, then we must pray. Pray to the truth. Pray for our heart to be blessed, to be opened. And our heart will always be opened because we're praying to the truth that is, more, that is most exalted. Ultimately, we're praying to what is always residing within us. Truth is always residing in us. Our heart is the hidden paradise. We have to remember, eventually, that there is a hidden enchanted paradise inside of us. This is that the land of bliss, of pure consciousness that is very loving and forgiving, that does not know how to judge us or anybody else. It is always ready to bless us. Actually, it is already granting a shower of blessings. We are hiding under the shell of ego, protecting ourselves from that divine rain. You know, perhaps you've, you've had this experience sometimes on, on retreat. When I, when I get very quiet, the sweetest thing happens. There's this place of, of purity that's not trying to impress anybody, that is just alone with the truth of things and the feeling of awe and wonder, childlike wonder, sometimes comes over the mind. And it's returning to that place that we've all had when we were beautiful little children. Some of my deepest insights are just echoes of what I remember as a child. I remember, I, I might have mentioned this, I probably have before, when I was young, I, and I grew up in New York, New York City, and I was really into astronomy. And I dragged my parents to the Hayden Planetarium. Every, every few months, they'd change the, uh, uh, the show. And I'd just go there, and I'd just go, wow. You know, looking up at the sky, and they, they'd show, here's the constellation, and here's that, and here's that. 
and it was just, and then at some point after they show a few of the constellations, then they show the whole sky lit up with millions and millions of stars that they put on the ceiling. And just go, And it both would make me feel infinitely small. This planet, you couldn't, you couldn't see the Earth. It starts out, you see the Earth, and then it just shrinks into nothingness, and then it's like gone. It's not even a speck. Infinitely small, and also infinitely connected to everything. That kind of awe and purity that I'm sure everybody here knows is really that pure consciousness that's just seeing itself, that is shining through and taking in reality. It's like we are mechanisms for life to appreciate itself. And just going, wow, what is it? Like, uh, Brian Swim says in the green universe is a green dragon. We're stuff, we're star stuff. We're just stuff that came out of stars. You know? And we are a star's way of knowing itself. Wow. Through this consciousness. How does that happen? I have no idea. But we all have this consciousness and this awareness that in its pure form feels a connection to everything, and that is love. And it wants to shine through, shining through of the divine. So the trick is to open up to the whole show and see what's really there shining through. That's always been there from the very beginning. Simply awareness, knowing itself. I'll just end with a, a poem, a Dana Falls poem. Go in and in. Be the space between two cells, the vast, resounding silence in which spirit dwells. Be sugar dissolving on the tongue of life. Dive in and in as deep as you can dive, be infinite ecstatic truth, be love conceived and born in union, be exactly what you seek, the beloved singing yes, tasting yes, embracing yes, until there is only essence, the all of everything expressing through you as you. Go in and in and turn away from nothing that you find. So that's all I have to say right now. Let's um, open it up to questions, comments, things about practice.
in the governor's budget cuts and what, I couldn't hear the you. governor's budget cuts. One of them is for prisons, and they're having no, the governor's a little bit farther away because oh, it's a little bit yeah, too far. Right? Okay, yeah. the, is that okay? Testing. A little bit farther away. It's a little Testing. bit too close. Too yeah. Oh, this is a further away mic. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> testing, testing. The governor's budget cuts. Oh, no, governor's budget cuts. One chunk for prisons, and there's a big movement now to try to figure out what to do with prisons because they're going to have to release, because of a ruling three years ago, all the drug people, um, minor drug people, and they were supposed to release it into rehabilitation. But if they don't have money for rehabilitation, they have to release them anyway. So they're trying to figure out what to do with them, and and that that tribe in Africa really has a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if uh, Arnold is, is ready for that one yet. <laughs> they want to pump you down. What else, anything about practice or? Thank you. That was a, just a beautiful Dharma talk. It was very moving. And um, I have a question about metta practice. And that is how would how do you understand or explain as I repeat the phrases, may I be happy, may I be healthy, mm -hmm. may I be safe and protected. I'm struggling to know what do those phrases really mean? What does that mean to be safe and protected? It doesn't seem as if it's a realistic blessing for myself or um, over the whole entire course of my life. Just that particular phrase? May I well, actually, the first three. And then the final one that I say is, um, may I be with what is with love? Uh -huh. Yeah. So first, may I be safe and protected. One, the longer version of that, uh, may I be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. So you know, y y stuff is going to happen. The body is subject to old age, sickness, and death. Uh, the inner harm is a good one to keep on working towards. Just what you add on to it, that's to a lot of the suffering. And with the metta phrases, it's not that you are somehow doing it and seeing if it's working or not. You know? Well. Is the universe cooperating with me now? You know, gosh, I don't feel very safe right now. My method must not be good enough. You know? That if you're if you're if you have the idea, which is often so, you know, well, I'm. You know, I'm I'm wanting this for myself, and I, I hope it happens. It, you're you're missing on the the uh, the real profound aspect of metta, which is just the heart that wishes well. 
you're cultivating that kindness that wishes well for yourself or others. And that's where the protection is, actually. It's not so much, you know, okay, you won't meet any danger, but that spirit of well-wishing is itself a protection because there is a, a, a positive energy field coming out of you that protects you from your own confusion and allows you to respond with a bit more clarity to what's out there. So I think it's a good thing to reflect on what does that mean, each one of them. What does it mean to wish myself happiness? Where, where is real happiness? What is real happiness about anyway? What does it mean to be healthy, to have the healing to whatever extent is available to me? Not, oh, will I never get sick now? But having a healing on whatever level is possible. What does it mean to find, to feel safe, to find a refuge inside my heart and my mind as well as taking care of myself for, from outside influences. And then wishing that for others. Oh, may you be safe. It's in that spirit of, I offer this to you in a, as a blessing, as a, a wish for, for well-being to, go th to, to um, be realized by you. That in itself is what the metta is developing, not the end result, but just that heart that wants to give and be so kind and generous and loving. That's what gets cultivated. Thank you. I had a question about um, uh, meta practice and becoming emotional during meta practice. Mm. Um, you know, my parents are um, dealing with some pretty challenging um, health issues. Tilt it just a bit. Tilt it. Better. This way? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and, you know, they're 3,000 miles away. I've just come back from visiting them. Mm. And so, you know, I started doing um, meta practice and I found that um, a lot of emotion was coming up, a lot of sadness um, and pain around um, they're not being well. Mm -hmm. And um, I tried to, I, I just tried to be with it um, and not um, uh, stop it or, or, and eventually it, you know, I, I kept doing the meta practice and it, it subsided, but I was just, because I'm kind of interested in what you would, had, would have to say about meta practice bringing up emotions. It does. That's what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the package, kind of like that purification. Uh, but also, there's a tenderness that you're feeling. You're feeling that connection. And that's when the metta, if it's reflecting on your uh, loved ones going through a hard time, that's when the metta uh, turns to compassion, which is, which needs to be balanced by equanimity. Okay, this is how it is. My heart is 
is really aching right now because I care so much. If you do, if you can get in touch with the caring rather than the, 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 the pain, then you're staying with the, the, the Brahma Vihara of, uh, of a divine state of, of caring and compassion. But you can't always do that. Sometimes the heart breaks and it's, oh, I love these people so much and I'm so far away and I wish it were different. Then you just hold that whole experience with loving kindness. So there you are with an aching heart, with tears coming down, and that becomes your metta practice. Not, oh, gee, I wish I could wish well so I could get on with my metta. No, you bring the metta to, the, to that sadness or those emotions that come, and there you are holding them, like the, you know, the Babemba tribe, you know, saying, oh, it's okay. It's really okay. Yeah, you're human. And uh, that's an important thing to realize. Then you feel connected with everybody else whose heart breaks from time to time. Pass it up all the way here. Up to the front. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Lisa. Raise your hand. This will probably be the last question. I had a question about uh, the passage that you read from Be Here Now mm. um, about the lions guarding the gate mm -hmm. and um, about the light getting brighter at the same is it is this supposed to happen simultaneously or mm. or later because I feel the you know the intensity of this guarding but um, not so much the light <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah it doesn't usually happen on the timetable we we plan for it that's why you you just have to be willing to you know you go through as Saint John of the Cross wrote the dark night of the soul that is an essential part of the journey. You know, just like in the, the hero's journey, the hero or the heroine, heroine has to go through their, their hardship in their quest and really meeting, coming right up against the hardest stuff. So sometimes it seems like it's overwhelming or you go through a period where, gosh, this has happened, this has been going on for weeks or, or even months. A few things in there. One, notice the moments where it's not completely dark. Don't miss the fact that there is light that shines through from time to time and rather than just painting it all, oh, it's, it's dark right now. And two, knowing how everything changes, really getting the truth of impermanence. Think of perhaps there have been other times when you've gone through difficulties and dark spaces that have come through. But if you have a, and you've come through each time, if you have a commitment to just see what's true with the kindest awareness that you can muster, that Awareness is the healing environment because the awareness of the darkness is not dark. The awareness of the confusion is not confused. And it takes 
that's where, as Anam says, you pray, you know, or you turn to some some kind of support when it's too much to do it all on your own. You turn to some kind of support, and that's you know, as as the Buddha said, good friends is the whole of the holy life. That's where we need friends. Uh, but know that that is a very natural and important part of the journey. The, the place it gets tricky is when the mind says, oh, I know where this is going. This is going down the rabbit hole like I did before. And that in itself is the thought that takes you down. So you have to just kind of see it as a moment-to-moment thing. This is hard right now. And there's an awareness that can hold it. And whatever connects you with faith, whether it's outside support or prayer or your own sincere motivation inside, your own sincerity of heart, that will see you through. The way I see it, as long as I'm facing in the right direction and wanting to develop as much kindness as I can, the humbling times are probably the ones that have given me the most the most lessons for me to deepen my compassion. So um, I honor your process. Thank you. Yeah. I, I just finally read Be Here Now. You refer to it all the time. So I, I finally read it. And that book made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> and it scared me. And I'm, I've just got to believe that that's my ego kind of panicking because it's <laughs> losing its grip. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm hoping that's why it made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> What, you know, different strokes for different stroke for different folks, and uh, <coughs> you know, if you read, I don't know how how out it might have seemed pretty outdated. That's uh, one thing, but uh, the middle did the brown pages make you uncomfortable? No, it was it was pretty much all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is uh, the be here now has three sections. There's the 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 story, Ramdas's story. There's at the end. Uh, prescription cookbook for a sacred life, and in, and in the middle, lots of different, you know, meditation and yoga and things like that, and the spiritual process. And the middle part, these, these brown pages, are the Dharma wrap that changed my life. Um, and some people relate, some people don't. Uh, as I used to say around Trungpa Rinpoche, I take what's useful and I leave the rest. So um, you'll find the book that really touches you. That's the one to hang out. I learned from it. It just I felt uncomfortable the whole, you know, reading it. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's close with a loving kindness. Mm. And just uh, as we do, remember that the opening story, Pakati, the woman at the well, and. See the Ananda right inside of you. I ask not for caste, but for water. Just like Ananda could see the goodness, the beauty, the holiness of that woman, just see it inside of you. That place that wants to wake up, that comes on a Thursday night to sit with others. Don't miss it. And wish it and your whole being well. 
from the purity of your heart to all the flaws around. May this being open to real happiness. May I feel the goodness and the love that's inside and share it well. May I touch the peace that's inside. And then sending these thoughts out to everyone here and all beings in all directions. As I want to be happy, may all find happiness. May all be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. May all learn to share their love well. Just feel that spirit of well-wishing if it's available. And may our coming here together be of benefit to everyone in our lives, including ourselves, and to all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and peace. very much and see you next week and stack the chairs mindfully. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.